memory as a young adult when I went to a young adults camp, I was probably about 21 or 22. From what I remember, it was in Toowoomba. And on one of the days, as one of the activities, we went to a waterhole for a swim near Toowoomba somewhere. I don't know what it's called or where it was exactly. But what I do remember is that this particular waterhole had the coldest water that I have ever experienced when I've tried to go for a swim. Does anyone know about this waterhole that I'm talking about? Yeah, some people who lived in Toowoomba do. Now, I, I love waterholes, you know, jump, not so much these days, but back in those days, you'd jump off the high cliffs, you'd swing off the rope swings, you know, and all that usual kind of danger and fun that went, that went with it. This day, I was keen for a swim, but for ages, because it, it was so cold, I just sat on the rock on the edge of the waterhole with my feet in, trying to decide, is this going to be worth it? Because everyone who was in seemed to be having fun, but it just seemed like too much pain and suffering for me. There's two methods of entering cold water, isn't there? <laughs> you know the one where you go in really slowly, centimetre by centimetre. For some reason, your hands are always up like this, you know, and you take your sweet time getting in there. That's one method. I don't know if that's your method, but that's one method. Method two which you know is to just jump in and you take the full punishment and you kind of just suck it up until your body adjusts and then you have all the fun in the world, right? Okay, who's method one, the slow people that go in like that? There's, there's some of you here, that's good, honest people. Who's method two, just get it over with, jump in, most people. It's good to know that because that, my sermon is based around this today. But there is also those, like me, on that day, that sit on the rock with just the feet in, you know, kind of a little bit in, but not really. And following Jesus can be like that. There's a variety of ways we go in with our faith. You might be that sort of person that just jumps in and you're fully wet and it's a bit of a shock at first, but you're, you're all in. Or you might be the person that you're just moving in bit by bit slowly, which is good. Either of those two ways are good. The main thing is that we move in, that we move in deeper. But then, in in the Christian world, there are those, for some reason, who are still sitting on the edge, just stuck on the edge, dangling their feet in, worried about the temperature, worried about perhaps potential discomfort or even some pain, worried about... What's below the surface? Because usually in a waterhole, you can't see more than a few centimetres. You know, what's worried about the unknown? So they stay on the edge, where it's just a comfortable place to be. And when I read the New Testament, I don't really see that option, to sit along the edge and just dangle the toes in. What I do see is an invitation to be like Jesus and move in completely. And today we read about disciples who embraced that invitation to go all in during a time and a place where it was really hard to do that, where it was scary and you couldn't see the bottom very clearly. So if you're joining us for the first time today in a few weeks, we're making our way through this letter that Paul wrote. He was in prison in Rome to the church in Philippi. We call it Philippians. This is a church Paul himself started with a local woman named Lydia. Week one was a message 
It was just simply called healthy. And it was the, the, the beginning of Paul's letter where he, he made these opening re- remarks about this church. And it seemed to us that when you read them, he said, this is a good church, a healthy church. And so we looked at what that might look like. What are the aspects of a healthy church? And week two was a message called Contagious. These believers Paul were writing to were, were, facing, were doing it tough. You know, They were facing persecution and a lot of pressure. And yet the way they lived boldly for Christ was contagious. That's what the word said. And all the other churches or the, the b- believers were, were really inspired by their faith, and we're still inspired today when we, when we read it. And the, the last question I think I had on that, from that sermon was, you know, how contagious is our faith to those around us? Week three was a message called Attitude. That was two weeks ago. We pushed uh, deeper into chapter two, and uh, these were the words from Paul. I'll put them on the screen for you. Chapter two, verse five. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Do we remember this sermon? Good. So with the surrounding scripture, we found some teaching on what what does an attitude or the attitude of Jesus look like? And as as we came to discover, humility was the key. And I want to make an apology to you today. Because when I was preaching through those topics and those points, I said these were simple points. And I think I just did a little bit of a disservice And the reason I said that was simple is because I know that if you've been in church for a long time or most of your life, you've heard these points before, but actually they're not simple. They're not simple. They're they're challenging. You know, this idea of God trying to literally change our hearts to, to to be humble, to be like him, are challenging, which is why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, because it's impossible without him. They're life-changing to us and those around us. And it's, and it's God's desire for us and his will for us to be holy in that way. And in fact, they're commands for followers of Jesus. So they're serious. When I said simple, please don't hear that it means that they're not serious. This, it's serious. And we should push into this teaching eagerly, all in, you know. Even if you are doing it centimeter by centimeter, you're going in. We must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Which leads me to this week's passage. This week's message is called Servant. Paul writes very positively about two of his friends. So we're up to verse 19 in chapter 2 of Philippians. I invite you to follow along or on the screen with me or on your devices or in your Bibles, whatever you have. So from verse 19, If the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. By the way, this sermon series, we're going to do every word in Philippians, okay? So I'm not going to brush over anything. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, a co-worker and follower, a fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he 
has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. Verse 28, so I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. You know, when I first read uh, this particular section in our series, um, you know, I thought these three paragraphs, how do I actually kind of just brush over them? Because I didn't really think there was too much in there for us. So I I wanted to honor the word. It's in there. It's for us today. So I just sat down, and, and this is often what I do when I'm writing out messages. I just, one verse at a time, just sitting there writing observations. What am I seeing? What am I seeing? This is a good way to study the Bible, church. What, what, are the, what am I observing? What are the applications out of those observations for us? And I've got a whole page of notes just from Paul commending a couple of guys, a couple of friends. And, and I realized Timothy and Epaphroditus were held up by Paul as amazing examples of servants, servants of Jesus. And like Paul, they were all in. You know, they loved to serve. And I, and I hope we do too. These three followers never sat with their legs dangling at the edge of the water. You know, they, they weren't just the toe dippers. You can say that, you can't say that about Paul or Timothy or Epaphroditus. They weren't just dipping their toes. They were, they were moving in. We know from Paul's story, uh, when he was heading to Damascus, Jesus like a, appeared to him and uh, his life was radically changed. He was the guy that jumped in, right, at that moment into the freezing cold water and was wet completely from that moment. We're not so sure about the other two. You know, maybe they jumped in, maybe they moved in slowly. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. By the time we read about them here in, the, in, in this book, in this letter, they're dedicated, they're not holding back, they're fully trusting, they go where Jesus tells them to go. They're all in servants of Jesus. So that's what we want to look at today. Three points I found for us about being a servant. The first thing is that all in servants... They see God's will in everything they do. It's about what God wants when you're a servant, about what the Lord wants, not what the servant wants so much. Even when it comes down to the question, should Timothy go to the church in Philippi? The answer in verse 19 was this, if the Lord Jesus is willing. They obviously did what God wanted them to do. They were were seeking him on their directions. And this is how we operate as servants of Christ. We seek God's will on everything we don't already know or what he hasn't already revealed. We know how easily it is for our own selfish desires to rule us and lead us down a wrong path. I bet you could all tell me times in your life where you've done that. I've gone my way and I've had to learn the lesson. It wasn't the way that Jesus wanted me to go. So servants of Jesus, they go to the master for his will for us. And we do it not only because... Jesus is our Lord, but because we trust him and we trust that he knows best and because we're part of his big plans, his kingdom plans for us and for the world. When we first submitted to Jesus, we entered into his service and, and his plan for humanity. And if you follow along, you know, last, this year we were doing the story, you'll know that God's plan for humanity is redemption. You know, it's restoration. And we... We followers, we servants, we're in on it. We're in on the plan. We have a role to play. Not just for us, 
for, for the wider world. So God's will for us is important if we're, if we're servants, even when it's hard to understand. So I ask the question, how often do you go to God and ask for his will, particularly on the important decisions in your life? You know, you, I'm sure we don't have to bother God with the simple decisions like do we need to wear clean socks and all that sort of stuff. You know, those things are... Don't have to bother God with that one. The answer is yes, right? <laughs> but what about where you want to study or where we should work or is God's will for you, for me? Is, is it to start a business or is it to enter vocational ministry? And, and how would that align with God's will? You know, who, who should we marry? Where should we live? How do we spend what God has provided us already? How do we invest our money? What ministry should we be involved with? What ministry should we start? We ask God about major purchases even. I'll put that one out there. You know, should we buy this house, this car, these sorts of things? What school should we send our kids to? Do you ask God about how, when and where you should go and and have rest and, and have holidays? And that's a good thing to ask because don't worry, God actually believes wholeheartedly in rest. It's going to be a good answer, but do we pray about that? Do we ask for God's will? What about around the difficulties and challenges in, in our life? You know, do we seek a vision for our life, like Dr. Jeannie was talking about uh, last week when she spoke here so well? And you know what, judging by the number of people who responded last week, I think that's a good indication that we as a church are actually willing to, to hear God on these things. That was really positive. It's good. And can I just say, let's keep doing that kind of thing together. Let's keep listening to God like that, not just in our own quiet times, but all together. You know, when the, when, when the board comes together every month and, and they're thinking about things going on in the church, we're seeking God's direction about which we go. And, and I know there's, there's times where we've had to stop ourselves and go, wait a second, have we even prayed about this yet? I think Mark and I had that situation this week. We're talking about uh, a need coming up in the church and we talked about it a few times now and it was like, have we even prayed about this yet? We need to seek God's will on this. That's what servants do. But don't worry. Jesus promises us that he came that you would have life to the full. If you're worried about seeking God's will and he's going to tell you to do something that is completely against what you want, don't worry. He promises life to the full. And you will be surprised when you say yes. The second thing about servants or all-in servants is they genuinely care for people. Now, dare I say... This sounds like a simple point. But what did I just say about simple points? These are challenging ones, right? But it's in the scripture, and I'm just preaching the Bible, okay? Let's look what Paul says about Timothy. Verse 20. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Of all the things Paul could have commended Timothy for, he chose that one. You know, how he loves people. He didn't actually say, look how many kilometers Timothy travels for the Lord every year. He didn't mention that. He didn't mention how many churches he may have planted or how many sermons he has preached. Or I was going to say buildings he built, but he probably didn't build any buildings. But you get the point. It was his love for people expressed through genuine care that Paul was like, this is what I'm commending him for. That's what got his attention, 
The thing about genuine care, though, is that it requires something from us. It actually requires personal sacrifice. It costs us something to care for others. And servants of Jesus sacrifice some of their time, their desires, you know, especially those self-centered ones, and they replace them with care for others, a desire to see others cared for just like Jesus did. And not just words, although words are part of it, but actions, sacrificial actions. Genuine care is the, the way the scriptures, the way that Paul says it. Genuine care According to verse 21, that's what matters to Christ. Does your heart genuinely care for people? You'll know the answer to that question by your actions because it's what flows from here. What comes out of us points to what's in here. This is what he wants for you. This is what actually brings life to the full. As servants of Christ, genuine care for others actually becomes part of our DNA. So can we say that about ourselves? It's a good question to honestly reflect on. Care for others starts, yes, with our own family, but it does not stop there. It's literally the beginning. It's just the beginning. It extends to everyone in your life, in the circle of life around you. It even extends to those who aren't nice to you. Got anyone in your life who's not nice to you? No one's nodding. (laughs) I bet you do. Your genuine care does not exclude those people in your life. If they're in your circle of care, or if they're in your circle or in life, then then your care extends to them too. If you're an all-in servant of Jesus, Jesus talks about how how much we have to love people. And he he always makes that point. You know, I think it's in Luke 5 where where he says, it's good that you love your family, but to be honest, that's no big deal because everyone can do that. Your your close family are easy to love, hopefully. (laughs) He says his servants are different. His servants have, have to love even those who are mean to us. And it includes those who, for whatever reason, have decided they don't like us. You may be sitting there thinking, I don't think I've got anyone in life that doesn't like me. There's always people who are hard to love. There's always people who are hard to love. And this is the key thing about servants of Christ. And that's why we have to keep preaching it over and over again because it's all through the Bible. Over and over again, it's got to sink in. You know, let's say the words again and again. We have to love even our enemies, love even our enemies. Pray for those who persecute me. Pray for those who persecute me. It's got to sink in. The change has to come. It's got to be a heart change. There's no doubt that genuine care for others requires us to give up our human desire to only care about ourselves. That's what verse 21 says. Oh, it disappeared. Can I have verse 21 back? <laughs> All the others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus Christ. You see what matters? What matters to our Lord? How we care genuinely for others. I find it challenging, but as we've already said this morning, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The same Spirit who rose 
raised Jesus from the grave, very powerful, is in us to give us the power to change and to do this. Point number three is that all in servants have a solid track record. There's evidence. There's evidence. You know, we've got to get our hands dirty. This is the thing. Verse 22, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. You know, we're talking about walking the walk now. You know, it's not just about talking the talk. It's walking the walk. Putting our, our hands to the plow, I think the scriptures say. You remember when we had that series in James? He's pretty big on this. You know, salvation's an amazing free gift of grace. But it does produce something in us, and there's evidence of it in our lives. This is what James said in, in uh, chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? You know, to be called a trusted servant of Jesus, we should be able to point to, or we should be able to, hopefully others, not so much us because we're humble, <laughs> others can point to a track record. Because let's be honest, words are cheap, aren't they? Timothy and Epaphroditus were trusted by Paul because they put their faith into action. They had a track record. They proved themselves to be true to their faith and they earned the trust of Paul and of the church. They put their hands to the plows, I've been saying. This is not a message about overworking. This is not a message to guilt you into working and doing too much. That's why we actually have the church, because we're all in this together. We all play our part to be an effective church. So how do we identify the true servants that we can trust? You know, what's, what's the track record we're looking for? The answers are found in what we've been talking about for the last four messages in, in Philippians. What's the track record? It's one who demonstrates an attitude like Jesus, the one who seeks God's will in everything, the one whose faith is strong, the one in, in face of persecution and their faith is contagious, the one's with the servant heart, they love to serve others, the ones who genuinely care for others. When Paul talked about Epaphroditus in the, the bottom section, or the last half of what we read today, he uses words like brother and co-worker and messenger and fellow soldier. He talked about how eager Epaphroditus was to see the church again. You could tell he was a really uh, respected servant of Jesus. In fact, Paul gives the church some instruction on what to do with such a person. Here's what it says in verse 29. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. And it seems to me that the church should take time to honor faithful servants. Yeah? I, I felt like God reminded me this week, Nathan, don't forget, don't neglect this one. Because your church is filled with them. Don't neglect this one. So I prayed about who could we honour in the spirit of the word of Philippians today. And so many of you came to mind. So many faithful servants. So many. In fact, you know, I'm convicted we're just going to have to do it more often. Honour people who are just faithful servants of God. But for today, I wanted to pick one and it's actually a couple. And so today, I want to honour Greg and Robin Bell. Yeah, let's clap. (laughs) 
if, if you're new to this church, they're not related to me, by the way, except they're, um, we share a last name, but they're not related except that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Greg and Robin are true servants of Jesus. So for all that you've done in this church, for all that you've done in other churches, for all that you've done outside of the church for Jesus, we want to thank you and honour you both. You know, most here don't know that, or many don't know anyway, that for a lot of years, this was the kids' pastors at, at Nexus Church. That's, that's hard work. <laughs> and, and you did it faithfully. And I believe, Robin, you also looked after the books there as well. Is that right? The, the accounts. Many here probably don't know about your time running camps and programs for kids. Many here don't know that Greg spent a lot of his Christian life working quietly in the background around churches, around property maintenance and doing projects and things like that. Many here don't know that Robin served a charity called Victory Community Services and helped uh, marginalised people. You may not know that the two of these retired and bought a caravan, but they didn't just uh, drive around the country for themselves. They stopped in at churches everywhere and served and just pulled up and said, how can we help? And, and didn't seek any credit for it or anything in return. You may not know that Robin spent many years studying and, and has a master's in counselling and, and has helped hundreds and hundreds of people and families who were struggling in life and including years in our family support service here. We do know that you do an amazing job with our seniors ministry is still serving God. We know that you both have servant hearts. We know that you love God. We know that you love people. We know that you give genuine care. We know you love the church, that you're humble, that you've sacrificed so much to serve your king. And today, we as the church want to honor you and pray over you a prayer of blessing. And I know it can be hard for humble people to be the center of attention like this, but I'm just going to encourage you two to receive it today, to receive it from us and from God and know uh, the word joy was used around Epaphroditus, and it's the same for us with you. So, church, would you all stand with us? And could you two mind coming to the front? I'm sorry to do this to you. If you know Greg and Robin, elders and leaders and others, can you just come and surround them, please? Can you come and surround them? We want to pray a prayer of blessing. And, church, as I pray this prayer, agree out loud with me. Let's be in on this, on this prayer time. We're following what... Paul said to do in Philippians, right? Father, we, we start by honoring you first and, and thanking you for the gift of your son, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, as our savior. So today, Father, we thank you for the gift of Robin and Greg Bell, trustworthy and faithful servants of Jesus. We stop and honor them and their lifelong record of servanthood. We see, Lord, the fruit of their sacrifice, the many kids who now love you and likewise serve you, the broken people who were genuinely cared for and given words of help and support and healing and salvation, the many churches around the country who have benefited from their servant heart and their hard work, including this one. Lord, we thank you for the way they have cared for the seniors' ministry at Hills Church, Lord Jesus. And today we lift them up. We know, Lord, that you look down upon them 
And I believe and trust wholeheartedly that your words are well done, good and faithful servant. So church on the screen behind me is going to be a blessing that Moses prayed. And we're going to pray this out loud together over these two. Put the whole thing up. Let's pray it together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.